Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is J.P. Humphrey. J.P., welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to this conversation. I'll explain in a moment how I came to know J.P., but He's going to share his, briefly, we're going to talk about his career journey, how he got to where he is today in the commercial real estate business. And then we're going to touch on some insights and tips at a high level, kind of from an overview perspective on commercial real estate for small business owners. It's a topic that I haven't covered in quite some time. And so had the opportunity to have JP come on and help me through some of this and answer some questions for me. So if you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including the show notes page for this episode and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. So let me tell you about JP. JP Humphrey is a commercial real estate agent in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. JP joined Advisors Commercial Real Estate in 2017, and he's an associate in their Dallas-Fort Worth office. He specializes in single-tenant building sales and project leasing for office and medical office properties. His experience also includes tenant representation. We're going to talk about what that means and why that's so important. And JP has held his Texas real estate license since he was a senior in high school. JP has been recognized as a top broker and a power broker by local publications for the last or the past three years in a row. As an Arlington, Texas native, he strongly believes in giving back to his community. He's actively involved with several local charities. So JP lives in Arlington, Texas, which is a suburb kind of in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And so once again, JP Humphrey, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here um, again. And uh, looking forward to, to kind of getting into uh, into the commercial real estate world, you know, answering any any questions that, uh, you know, you guys might have and, um, you know, just kind of providing some clarity on on the full process. Sure, absolutely. And so just, just to show a little bit more with uh, listeners, I, the way I came to know JP is your dad and I have known each other for quite some time. We met in the, let's see, geez, when would it have been? It would have been mid to late nineties. We worked together at Lawson Software. So I've known your dad for quite some time. Um, and I had a chance to have him on the show back on episode 385, where we talked about connect for life. So if you're interested in that, go back and listen to episode 385. But uh, just to just to kind of get up to speed, you, as far as I can remember, being around your life on the periphery, you've been interested in real estate. And of course, your dad has been investing in real estate for quite some time. Is that how you got exposed to it and interested in the whole world of real estate? You know, yes and no. Kind of give you guys a little bit of background. Um, you know, I actually got got pretty interested in um, in commercial real estate going into um Going into my my senior year of high school, you know, we traditionally had in high school would typically go on a summer vacation. You know, there was a few years where we vacationed with a couple other families that uh, that went to school with us, and uh, one of the one of the families in particular, you know, has a had a you know the uh, the father there um, was very into to commercial development. Um, you know, really. Didn't, didn't go to college, um, you know, had a construction background and kind of got started into the, the business that way. And, you know, he'd sat us down. Uh, I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad at the time. Some of you may know know that book and was just kind of getting 
very interested in the uh, the thought of you know recurring revenue, having having uh, you know tenants basically assist you with you know paying down your debt and increasing the uh, the principal that uh, that you own and the you know the equity that you own, if you will. So you know really got interested in there. I had unfortunately torn my ACL uh, playing football for the uh, the second time. And was uh, looking at you know a six to nine month recovery process. You know this was in June or July, going into my my senior year, 2012, which graduated in, in 2013. Uh, so I had a little bit of downtime. I knew I wasn't going to be playing playing football. Um, you know in the in the season coming up. So I figured this is what I wanted to do. You know post college, and I took that opportunity to to go ahead and get my my, my uh, real estate license here in mm-hmm. Texas. So you studied real estate in college, right? Correct. Yes. Uh, the University of Arkansas has a real estate concentration in the finance program. So that was one of my primary decisions and ultimately choosing the, uh, the University of Arkansas. I studied finance with a concentration in real estate, and then I got an accounting minor as well. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, I, as you may know, maybe you don't recall, but in the early 2000s, I had my, my real estate license as well, but I focused on residential. And similar to what you do, what I, what I enjoyed about it in part of it, it is really like having your own business because you, while you work under obviously the guidance and rules of a, of a broker in an office, it's up to you to go get the business or not get the business, right? So it's very much entrepreneurial is my thought. What, what do you think? Yeah, no, it's exactly like that. I mean, I always tell people I, I am my own boss. You know, there's some truth behind that. Yes, I do, you know, work under a, uh, a brokerage umbrella. And, you know, there are certain things that we have to follow, you know, rules and, you know, working as a team uh, with property managers on accounts that we um, you know, manage and, you know, also external uh, property managers and owners as well. Uh, but yeah, it is uh, an eat and, and kill what you eat, you know, you eat what you kill yeah, type of sure. business. Um, you know, if you have a hard time, um, you know, getting yourself out of bed and, you know, getting, you know, getting going and making the calls, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough business to, to succeed in. Yeah. You've been at it for a few years now. What, what's one thing you enjoy about it the most? Definitely. Well, the deal-making process is just so much fun. Um, you know, I really love the back and forth, the negotiations, the coaching uh, with assisting with your your landlords and uh, sellers on, you know, the advising portion of the, the process is a lot of fun. And then also just meeting meeting the people is is great as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I enjoyed about it as well. And everybody that I talked to, it's, it's one of those careers slash, you know, business Every day is a different challenge. You're out there in the field. You're meeting different people. Every transaction is unique. So that has a lot of appeal. All right, let's dive into it, JP. And I I want to take this from the perspective, obviously, of a small business owner, either someone who's planning to start a business that's going to require a physical space, retail space, perhaps, or maybe a warehouse, whatever it might be. And also for someone who might have an existing business, maybe they're looking to renegotiate or move to a bigger space or whatever the case might be. So that's the perspective that I want to take. So giving that context from your perspective, why should I consider a commercial agent? Why not just go drive around, identify where I want to have the space and just call, call off the signs and, and go about it that way? Why should I look to engage someone like you? And we'll talk in a moment about tenant representation, 
but give me at a high level, what, what is it that a commercial agent brings to the process? Well, you know, there's, there's a couple of items, you know, that particularly come to mind, you know, one of them is, you know, the access to market information. Um, you know, there are free websites and, and versions of, you know, searching uh, commercial space, you know, LoopNet is one of them, one of the free tools that's available for the public to use. One thing that, you know, a lot of people probably don't know is that LoopNet only will put out the information on properties that have a certain level of payment, if you will, for, for certain particular coverage. You have to have a certain amount of coverage, otherwise your property will not show up on the, uh, the basic. So access to property information, uh, market information is, is important, you know. If you were just going around driving or searching yourself, there may be a few properties that that get left out that you know you might might be interested in potentially. Um, you know, there's knowledge of the process. You know, the small business owner and you know the business owner they're they're experts at what they do. You know, a commercial agent in in the same sense is an expert at what they do. You know, they they do this every day. Um, you know, a small business owner may have been through this a couple of times, you know, if they're signing a three to five year lease, you know, they're dealing with this every three to five years, uh, longer if they sign a longer term lease, but you know, your commercial agent typically do this, you know, multiple times last year, I think I did 40 deals and the year before that I, I signed 50. So, you know, you just get a lot more knowledge and experience, you know, not everything always goes according to plan on a deal. And, you know, that's typically when your commercial agent is, is most valuable in, in dealing with those uh, situations where there's a lot of problem solving and, um, you know, trying to get creative on solutions uh, kind of goes into the you know, next point, which, which would be uh, experience with negotiations. Typically, you'll have a, a lawyer review a lease uh, prior to signing you know, as a broker, we do not give legal advice, yeah. <laughs> something we're required to say, but, you know, we will, you know, look over the release, review everything. And, you know, if there are some deal points that, that stick out to us, um, you know, those are something that we bring to attention and, and assist with uh, negotiating. Yeah. yeah, all great points. And I think the other thing that sometimes I find people don't realize is that commercial agents as far as how you get paid, it's the same as with a residential agent that you might hire at a buyer or sell a house. In other words, the landlord pays your commission. If I, as a business owner, hire you to help me hire as a, in quotations, I don't pay for that. And so it makes all that much more sense why I should bring on your expertise, right? Correct. Yeah. And that's something that, that gets overlooked a lot, you know, especially a smaller business owner who maybe hasn't gone through the process before. The landlord is responsible for paying, you know, both the landlord representative and the tenant representation as well. And, you know, the fees are very dependent on what market you are and on what's standard there. But, you know, ultimately it's, it's free for the tenant to use. And, you know, the tenant representative their job is to, to make recommendations and help through the process. Ultimately, the business owner makes the, you know, the ultimate decision. And, you know, if there's a disagreement on what advice is being offered, you know, the, the business owner is ultimately the one that gets to make that decision. Um, but it doesn't cost them anything to, to get that advice. That's right. All right. So let's, let's clarify what you're touching on as well, which is this whole concept of what's called tenant representation. And the way I always explain it to people, and I find that it's a, a big source of confusion is again, as I had laid out the scenario, if I 
start calling the signs that are in, let's say I'm looking for a 2000 square feet in a shopping center. And usually there's a sign somewhere that says, you know, for leasing information, call Henry. And so I call that number. And what I'm calling is I'm calling the representative or the broker for the landlord. And by law, they're required to treat me fairly and give me the information. And they'll even help me with leasing space. But what they are not is my exclusive representation or representative from the negotiation process. And that's where tenant representation comes into play. But explain it to me a little bit further in your words. You act often as a tenant representative. So explain at a high level how that works. The process starts, you know, the, the ideal process uh, starting point would be, you know, the, the tenant has engaged you prior to doing any searching on their, of their own. You know, so from that point, we would we would meet with the tenant, you know, determine what their needs for the space were, you know, whether we were talking about a retail space, an office flex space, office space, you know, what kind of what kind of quality building do they want to do? What kind of what kind of budget are they working with? Do they need more of an open concept or do they need you know more private offices? Uh, just kind of getting a, an overview of the tenant and how they operate as a business and then working on a solution from a space perspective on what, what fits that the best. So, you know, our role during that process is to uh, identify options based on the uh, criteria that we've been given from the business owner. And based on that geographic parameter um, and the other, you know, criteria that go into it, you know, price per foot on the budget, size of the space that needs, that they need, you know, maybe they have a, a higher density use, you know, such as a call center, and they're they're worried about parking. You know, their office building. Not every office building is created equally when it when it comes to parking. Um, you know, some have a higher parking ratio than others, and that is something that would need to be taken into uh, into that process during the search. So, you know, once we identified a a couple of locations, you know, usually you want three to five that you like. Um, you would probably send out LOIs on three of those and you would begin negotiating that process. Typically, I would say it takes three to four weeks to negotiate the LOIs. And then once you have reached, you know, pretty much your business points on the LOI, then you would you know, go to lease and work through the lease. Uh, your broker is going to assist you with the, you know, the business points uh, and working with the, uh, the lawyer that you would hire uh, to, to review the lease if you choose to do so on working through that lease. And then once you signed the lease, you would uh, commence build out if there was um, you know, any renovations that needed to be uh, taken place. And then once your build out was finished, you would submit for your certificate of occupancy with the city and then you would be uh, ready to roll. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for that, that overview. Going back to though the tenant representation, how do I know that you are representing me exclusively? How do I know that, and how do I ensure that? And are you are you speaking in the sense in which you have hired me as your tenant representation, and not Correct. that Correct. you're dealing with an intermediary on a landlord representation assignment? Correct. Um, well. Um, I mean, when I, when obviously in real estate, in my experience, what, what I do with a commercial agent is I sign a tenant representation agreement that makes that very clear. Is that what you typically do and recommend? Uh, you can do that. 
um, you know, a lot of the times we really just do it verbally on a handshake type agreement. Um, you know, the tenant representation agreements are really more put in place to, to protect the, the commercial real estate agent than they are the, uh, the actual small business owner. You know, that basically locks you into a, to an agreement with a tenant representation agree or a tenant rep representative that, you know, they're, they're going to put in, you know, quite a bit of time and, and work uh, into this deal before they, you know, ever realize the, the fruits of the labor, you know, it could be, could be nine months, sometimes it could be longer, you know, sometimes it could be shorter if, if there's a, you know, move in ready type space. Right. Uh, right. But my, in my experience, you know, those uh, representation agreements um, are really more more to protect the uh, the broker than they are the uh, the small business. Sure, I, I can see it. I mean, I, I can see where it goes both ways. The point is that I want people to take away is that you want to be clear on who your agent is representing. Um, and in my opinion, I don't like it when the agent that I'm working with is in an intermediary position because then they don't have the responsibility to me as my as my agent. And Correct. so that's a, that's my recommendation. You would agree with that, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. I would like you uh, another term that I want to introduce and explain and define for people because it's a, another source of confusion is the whole concept that typically, generally, not always, but in my experience, it always has been the case that when I go to lease commercial space, it's through what's called, generally speaking, I've always heard it referred to as a triple net lease which mm -hmm. means at a high level that I'm going to pay the rent, which is likely going to increase over the period of time, not necessarily, but depends on what got negotiated. But then I'm also paying my pro rata share based on the amount of space I have in that center or building, or maybe I have the whole building, my portion of the real estate taxes for that property, the common area maintenance, that is my share for the maintaining the property, the landscaping, the lighting, those kind of things, and the insurance. So those three things are what get referred to as the triple nets. Am I missing anything on that? Is that, is there anything you would add to explaining what a triple net lease is? No, you've, you pretty much hit it. Um, there's just a few other things that kind of go into it that are negotiable. It really depends on what type of a property you're in. Uh, but for instance, in a, in a retail type center, you know, a lot of the times the landlord will put the HVAC system, you know, repairs certainly, and then a lot of the times replacement as well onto uh, onto the tenant. Mm -hmm. It's outside of a triple net, you know, what goes into your triple nets, the taxes, insurance, and common area maintenance, but it is another expense that a tenant has to uh, to bear. Yeah, yeah, great point, in including... I agree often, at least all the leases I've signed, I agree to have to maintain that HVAC system at, at my expense. In other words, it's it's my responsibility during the time of the lease, whether I like it or not. And that leads me, JP, to the whole other thing that I think sometimes is uh, kind of hard to process for people that when I lease space, typically I'm responsible for everything inside the box, if you will, right? They're going to mm -hmm. tell me the roof doesn't leak and the walls don't have penetration, but, but otherwise, I'm responsible for everything inside the box, right? Correct. Yeah, the, the landlord will typically take care of the uh, structural, the roof, uh, and the foundation. And then, you know, a lot of the other items are, are negotiable. It really just depends on how the landlord is running his property, 
and how hard the tenant wants to push on, on certain items. Right, right. And that, let's get into that because I think that's, that's really then after understanding the basics of how this works, understanding that you want your own representation, if at all possible, understanding at a high level what a triple net lease is, you've touched on it. You said it, it's negotiable. All of the terms, well, most of the terms that are terms or clauses in a lease are negotiable. Now, that doesn't mean you will get it negotiated in your favor. A lot of factors come into play, market conditions, demand for that particular piece of property, uh, all mm. kinds of factors, my, my uh, credit worthiness or history or experience, all of these things come to play in my ability to negotiate. So no, in my experience, and I'm sure yours in the 40 transactions you did last year, every situation is different. So just take these as kind of guidelines on things that you should have a discussion about. But you touched on HVAC is a big one. That's another one. That's one that always comes mm -hmm. up for me is uh, if I'm responsible for it, well, then will you at least certify it that it's in working condition? Those kind of things are important to negotiate. Um, tenant improvements you touched on as, as well, which are, will the landlord help me with the finish out that needs to happen before I can say, put my restaurant in there, right? And mm -hmm. so in my experience, not all, but most landlords are willing to work with you on some kind of a participation on tenant improvement. Is that what you're still seeing these days or enlighten yeah. me on that? That's that's correct. And then there was one other thing I really kind of wanted to mention on the HVAC, which a lot of landlords, you know, will will bend on. And that is a, um, you know, first of all, I think you, you touched on it, making sure it's delivered in good and working condition, and they uh, warranty it for the first 180 days of the lease. Uh, you know, that'll help you out with getting started, making sure you don't get hit with a, uh, you know, a $10,000 HVAC uh, replacement expense in, you know, your first year of business. Um, you know, that's an important thing to ask for. If the landlord will not, if you cannot get the negotiation of the replacement um, on the landlord, a lot of landlords will um, except an HVAC deductible, and that can be negotiated a couple of ways. You could do it, you know, on a per calendar year for all, all of the units. You could do it on a per unit basis. And then I would also, you know, just make sure you, I would suggest uh, getting an HVAC report on the age and condition of the units uh, prior to, to signing the lease. Yeah, all right. Um, but to, uh, to answer, getting your question about tenant improvements, yes, yeah, a lot of landlords will, well, not a lot, just about all of the landlords will offer some sort of uh, an incentive. And, you know, that'll come in a couple of different forms. You know, it could come in the form of uh, actual tenant improvement allowance dollars, which uh, the landlord would reimburse to the tenant once they have received, you know, all the lien releases from the contractor and uh, everything in the work order was satisfied. Uh, it could come in the form of free rent where, you know, the landlord says, okay, I'm not really going to give you guys any actual dollars for the improvements up front, but I might give you four months of free rent. You know, on the retail properties, a lot of that free rent will come in the form of abated base rent where you are still paying the triple nets during those, uh, you know, however many months you negotiate. And then on, on an office building, a lot of the times, you know, those are plus electric or a full service type lease. And, you know, you're getting actual free rent outside of maybe a prorated utility bill. 
yeah. uh, during that time period. And then you could have a combination of the both. You know, you may have a couple of months of free rent, maybe have a few months of half rent, uh, and then, you know, maybe have a small tenant improvement allowance. And, you know, a lot of that will go into the credit worthiness of the tenant themselves and the landlord's underwriting of their financials, uh, the length of term you're willing to sign. And then, you know, the rate that you guys ultimately agree on all kind of go into how that package is, is structured. Yeah. All right. Great, great stuff there. Great points on the free rent. One of the things that has worked for me sometimes in the past, JP, is let's say I wanted six free weeks or six free months rather and the uh, landlord pushes back, I have found success with maybe they'll give me three in that first year, but then one free month every year for the remainder of the lease. In other words, I have found that landlords are much more willing to sometimes give it to me later in the lease once I've shown that I'm paying and that I'm a good tenant. Uh, have you found that to be the case in your experience? Uh, yes. Yeah. And a lot of that also kind of goes into the you know, landlord they they want to start getting their money coming in just as soon as possible. Right, so, right. Um, they can stagger that free rent over the course of a uh, five year, a five year lease. You know, they're maybe missing one month of rent every year as opposed to having you know the first year of re- lease term, where you know they have maybe six months out of that year where they're not getting any income. Now a lot of things, you know, one thing I have seen you know, just about all the landlords I work with on, on the landlord representation side is we will, we will add that however many free months of rent you get, we'll add that onto the term. So, you know, if you negotiated a five-year deal and you got 44 months free, it would be a, a 64 month lease instead of a, a 60 month lease. Right. Right. I've seen that as well. Fair enough. All right. Another big clause that I wanted to touch on is the personal guarantee. And that's another Often when I work for with first-time business owners, it's one of those shocking moments when you realize that signing that five-year lease, you are personally guaranteeing it. And even if the business fails, even if it was under an LLC or a corporation, me, Henry Lopez, still personally said, I'm going to cover that rent until they're able to lease it back out. That's a huge uh, potential burden. But what I have been able to negotiate in some instances is a burnout or a phase out of that guarantee. Let's say it was a five-year lease and maybe I'm able to negotiate that after year three, it goes down to 50% and then it phases out. Are you seeing that recently? Is that something you see in the Dallas market? Yep. Yeah, we, uh, we call it a rolling guarantee here. But yeah, that is, we do, we do see that quite a bit. And a lot of times, the stronger the tenant's financials are, the better terms they can get on when that will roll off. And you know, a lot of it also goes into you know, well, how much money is the landlord putting into the deal? How much improvement dollars are they putting into the deal? When are they going to recoup all of that? Um, and a lot of the times, your rolling guarantee will be structured around when, when those are uh, recouped. And then also depending on the, the financials as well. Yeah. Okay. All right, we've touched on quite a few clauses. I just want to kind of rattle off a few other ones and then ask you what else we should be thinking about at a high level. Obviously, there's the term of the lease. You know, in my experience, I've always kind of leaned towards a five-year, maybe a 10-year with an option. But the thing I find that often people make a mistake on, JP, with the option is it's not really an option. It's just kind of, well, we will mutually agree to an extension at the end and it'll be at market rate. To me, that's not an option. 
So what I've always tried to do, and again, I may not get it, but I'm going to try to get it, is a definitive option with some kind of parameters around what rent will go up to in that option at my option. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, we, we've seen that. Um, I tend to see that more on retail than I do on the office, but we've seen that quite a bit uh, where, you know, the renewal term can't exceed more than 110% of the previous year's rate. You know, I've seen that quite a bit. I've seen tenants try to put a renewal option at, you know, 90 or 95% market rate, uh, trying to, you know, get a little bit of a, a discount there for, for being a longer term tenant. You know, I see a lot, well, most landlords will push back on that and, and put it back at a hundred percent on the market rate. And then you'll right. negotiate it uh, during that, during that renewal process. Now on a lot of, uh, a lot of our renewals, especially in, you know, our medical office buildings and office buildings, you know, you want to be fair to the tenant on the renewal. Um, so, you know, a lot of times you will keep them at that same rate that they're paying right now for at least another year before you start bumping them again. Yeah. So, okay. Fair enough. Great. Thanks for that. Thanks for those tips. That's another great way to, to, to pay potentially lock in some kind of lock on what that rate is going to be. Otherwise it really is up to the landlord as to how badly they want to keep me or not. Last one I want to touch on is lease assignment. So where I've had this come into play is when I've sold the business and I've got a lease in place and I've had everything from, oh, yeah, it's just, you know, trivial fees to one time I had to pay $15,000 just for the privilege of their attorneys to, uh, you know, agree to the assignment, which I thought was just horrible. I had inherited that clause because it was a business that I had bought and then sold. Um, so that's something I look for as well, that there should be some, it has to be spelled out, but some ease and not any big arbitrary fee related to me assigning my lease. What are your thoughts on that? I think uh, $15,000 to assign a lease is uh, pretty egregious. Uh, it is. It is. It was egregious. Uh, but, but I, you know, there it was, right? <laughs> That's unfortunate. I, you know, a lot of times I will see that the landlord doesn't have an issue. It's just subject to approval of the, of the assignee's financials. And, you know, as long as they are somewhat in line with the financials that the, the assigning tenant, you know, has, the landlord will, will move forward on that. Um, you know, just because they're assigning the lease doesn't mean that they're released of all liability. Uh, a lot of uh, landlords will tend to take, you know, keep the assigner on the guarantee uh, and also put the assignee on the, you know, have them sign a personal guarantee. So from the landlord's perspective, you know, two is better than one. You know, I've seen, I've seen that a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I had to do as, that you know, on a business that I sold. I had to do that for a period of time. So yeah, that's, mm -hmm. that's very yep. common. Yeah. And then, you know, as far as a fee for, uh, for, for writing the paperwork up, you know, yeah. I haven't seen $15,000. $1,500 is, you know, probably the maximum I've seen for, for something like that. Yeah. That makes sense. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. I got, you know, I got a million more questions, but but uh, time here is coming to an end. So we'll probably have to see if we can convince you to come back on. Let me summarize this on as far as the quote, I mean, the clauses rather and the terms. You touched it on it a couple of times, but in my experience, what I recommend, as you said, you're one of your, your functions, your roles is to help me with this negotiation process 
you're helping me because you're you're the broker between the two sides, if you will. The 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 middleman kind of diminishes it, but you understand that you're 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 that hopefully at least emotionally third party disconnected that's helping me transact this back and forth, which can be emotional sometimes and stressful. You're also bringing to bear your market knowledge. What have you seen? What's typical? What's not? What should I expect? So you're helping me with that. But then, as you touched on, in my experience, at some point, you might want to hire an attorney, but definitely you want to hire an attorney before you sign that lease after it's been negotiated. So that, that to me is a must have uh, that I recommend to everybody is before you sign that final negotiated lease, you have an attorney review it. Um, all right. So let's start to wrap it up. Is there anything else at a high level that you thought, no, Henry should have asked me about that because I see it as a common mistake that small business owners make, especially when they're looking to get retail space. Anything else that we didn't cover? That yeah, there was, there was one other item we didn't really touch on that I would like to kind of go in. I see this mistake pretty often and it is when do I need to start searching for MySpace? Right, right. Because and when a do lot I of times you in it too, you know? Yeah, yes, yeah. Because <laughs> a lot of times I will, you know, we'll get, we'll, uh, we'll get started talking with a tenant on a, on a property and, you know, their, their response when I ask them, okay, what's your timing for occupancy is I needed it yesterday. You know, that's not really a good position to be in from the tenant's perspective for really, you know, one of two reasons. Uh, first of all, you know, whenever you're in a hurry, you, you lose all your leverage. Yeah. The landlord knows you have to be in a space and, you know, sure, you might be looking at some other properties, but if he can move quickly, he's got a good chance at making a deal, even if it's at some less competitive terms. Uh, two, you know, is the build-out process tends to take quite a while. And if you're buttoned up against another lease, you could get stuck paying holdover rent at your other property. Uh, which is typically 150 to 200 times your your current rate. So, you know, you're getting twice as much, you're paying twice as much rent on one end and you're losing time in your new space uh, on the other uh, because, you know, of a lack of failure, failure to plan ahead of time. So I would, you know, typically recommend if you're going to do a full build out on a space, you know, maybe it's a shell space where it's just a concrete slab and an electrical panel, landlord still needs to, you know, you still need to do a HVAC, you know, I would recommend at least eight months um, for that full process. You know, it's going to take you probably a couple, two to three weeks to identify sites. You know, you're going to have to go out and tour those sites. I would put another week and a half there, three to four weeks for negotiating a uh, an LOI, you know, another three to four weeks for the lease. And then you could have, you know, four to six months of build out if it's, you know, pretty intensive. You know, a lot of times if it's not very intensive, you know, you can get it done under under 90 days, but that'll kind of give you a timeline on, you know, when you might want to get started uh, on on doing your search. It, it, it doesn't happen as fast as some people might want to believe. Yeah, no, that's excellent. That's an excellent point. And that's been my experience as well, JP. Again, it could be it could happen in three months. It could happen in 12 months. You know, the last business that we launched, I think it probably took us about a year. So, uh -huh. and then you, when you add a variable like the finish out, well, goodness, especially nowadays, which how hard it is to get uh, a contractor, especially if it's a smaller job. So yeah, you, that is, like you said, such a good point to make that people wait too long and now they lose their leverage. And that's probably the biggest price you'll pay besides 
probably not being able to get the doors open in time, right? you lose your negotiating leverage and that is going to cost you if you allow that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lease and done the whole process in less than 30 days, but the tenant doesn't get as yeah. stronger terms as they could. Not ideal. Not ideal. All right. If someone wants to chat with you and maybe potentially use your services, you, you specialize, obviously you're licensed in Texas and you specialize in the DFW area, where, where should they go to learn more or to contact you? Sure. They can, uh, they can go to our website um, at advisorstx.com to, to learn a little bit more about what we do. We're a, we're a full service commercial real estate firm. So, you know, I specialize in brokerage services, but, you know, we do also uh, have accounting and property management under our umbrella of, uh, of services. You know, we are also doing a little bit of development as well. So, they can go to, to Advisors TX to learn a, bit, a little bit more about who we are and, uh, and what we do. You know, all my contact information is, is there on the website. All right, so if I go to the website, then how do I find you specifically? So you would go to the website and there should be, um, yeah, there will be a, a tab at the very top that says the team. And then you'll see managing partners, Steve Gray, and then Philip Hooks is a partner in the, uh, in our in our company and then you'll see uh my name jp Humphrey three down uh you'll have to scroll a little bit i'm there i have my bio there you can see my listings yeah if you guys need any assistance in dallas fort worth i'd be happy to happy to assist you guys with that you have any other questions nope let's say jp we're going to wrap it up thanks so much for taking the time to be with me today and helping me with all these questions i appreciate your sharing your your thoughts and your insights great to be with you guys a lot of insightful uh, questions and, you know, it was a really, uh, really good, engaging conversation. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks for joining me on this episode of the How of Business. My guest today again was JP Humphrey. I release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. I'll also have a link there to uh, to find JP's site and his contact information. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.